Hi everyone, welcome to Health Education England's podcast series uh, where we're talking about careers in stroke medicine. This is the first episode and I'm sure we'll have more looking at everyone involved in stroke medicine, uh, the people and how we deliver care across the country. Jointly hosting with me today is Deb Lowe, who's the National Clinical Director for Stroke, and I'm John Cooper, I'm a stroke consultant in Yorkshire and the Humber and also a postgraduate dean as well. So without further ado, we'll be talking about our sort of careers and how we got to doing a podcast, if you like, um, but also talking about uh, what happened along the way. So Deb, over to you. Hello, everyone. Um, and thanks, John. Really pleased to be invited today for the first of this series um, about what is undoubtedly the best speciality in medicine. But I am obviously completely biased, as are you, hopefully, as a stroke physician. And I think it's nice that we can have this conversation together because we've both come through the ranks of our medical registrar training and stroke medicine. Um, and then we've taken on these additional leadership roles, haven't we? Which um, I think sometimes it's just nice to talk about um, how how you get to um, a certain point in your career, but remembering that when you finish your training, that's only um, an artificial stop, and um, yeah, the rest of the career is just really ahead of you, isn't it? That's absolutely right. And I think when we look back and you think about because uh, we've worked together, we we both trained in Liverpool, worked at Whiston Hospital, St Helens. Yeah, you were my SHO, John. Just to reiterate, you're slightly older than me. Just thought I'd get that. In. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. Absolutely. I, I do remember. Um, but, you know, when we started, stroke medicine as a clinical specialty was really fledgling. The evidence was coming through for, you know, the antiplatelet use. Stroke units weren't in existence. I remember seeing stroke patients as a house officer, if we can use that old fashioned term, you know, on, on the general medicine wards. And we've seen over the last 20 years the change in medicine, really evidence-based specialty, stroke unit data, reduction in mortality by, you know, masses of amounts, and actually it developing then as a clinical training subspecialty. And I remember getting an email, uh, I think, from the PMETB as it was then, saying, would you be interested in doing stroke medicine subspecialty here? And I, I, I came through, like you, the geriatric medicine training arm, uh, and I applied for a uh, what was then a, a stroke association fellowship uh, year, and, and was successful in that. And, and 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 that's when I think my career trajectory changed, and I saw what stroke medicine had to offer as a a, a clinical uh, training entity. You know, it, it's not just about dealing with the stroke, is it? It's about dealing with the cardiac complications, the communication, the rapid decision-making, palliative care, rehabilitation, neurology, mimics. You know, it's a really rich, massively rich training environment, which actually probably, when I'm thinking about it, shaped the way my career then went, not just as a clinical, um, from a clinical perspective and being a consultant, but also, you know, how we train others. What about you? So um, it's, I think it's interesting asking or remembering that we didn't do very much for stroke 25 years ago. I did a um, old school SHO job at Physically Hospital in Liverpool. 
remember vividly a post-date ward round where there's a respiratory consultant I was with and we saw all of the patients in a bay and he left one of the patients in the corner and I said why aren't we seeing that lady and his response was she's had a stroke we can't do anything and so that was 1998. I remember walking away thinking but she's clearly got a pneumonia she's distressed she's not got anything to stop her getting a clot in her legs um she can't speak and I remember walking away feeling really really distressed and um a week later did a wardrobe with a geriatrician and I'm going to name drop because he's my Yoda Anil Sharma at um who worked at Aintree Hospital and he did a wardrobe and he saw someone who'd had a stroke and managed her completely differently. And I thought, why on earth have we got this level of variation? This was back in 98. And he told me about some of the research that had been done by the amazing Professor Peter Langhorn about organised stroke unit care and that you can reduce um, medical complications from stroke and um, improve outcomes with early rehabilitation. And I think at that point I thought, well, I don't, what would I do if that was my mum or my grandma sat on a ward and one week you get seen and you get left and another week you get phenomenal care and I didn't actually do a stroke fellowship job I Anil really took me under his wing and offered me a research job and I wasn't into research I thought in my head yeah I'm not clever enough it's really dull I didn't want to sit in a lab and collect blood samples for serum rhubarb it wasn't what I wanted to do I did want to look at um, how we empower our stroke survivors, how we educate them, how we make them aware of reducing risk factors. So I did a research um, registrar job and then from there got a geriatric training number. Um, and then interestingly, when I got my consultant post, I didn't start as a stroke physician. I got um, I went to a hospital on the Wirral, which is where I'm still based now back in 2005 as an acute geriatrician doing all the front door assessment but I noticed that about one in five patients that came through had neurological symptoms that were and I was seeing people of all ages it wasn't just older people so it was your 40 year old migraine sufferer that was told that she'd had a stroke a year earlier when she hadn't she'd obviously had migraine with aura and then it was your 50 year old that came in and was told they'd had a stroke and they hadn't because they had early onset multiple sclerosis and I thought crikey it's a real issue here with the way that we're managing our front door acute neurological assessment patients so I think really just saw an opportunity to look at how we did organized stroke care and again coming to a different hospital I thought the way that the stroke unit was run there was so much potential to do things differently and then the key thing for me, I think, was in 2007, the publication of the National Stroke Strategy. Um, and it was really interesting because there was no one that leading stroke at that time. Um, stroke didn't have a voice. It wasn't sexy. Compared to cardiology, we were, um, I remember someone saying to me, oh, my goodness, why did you become a geriatrician? You could have done anything. And I said, it's because I can do anything that I became a geriatrician. Um, and I thought, yeah, I could actually, I could have done neurology, I could have done cardiology, but there's no other career that I think offers you that end-to-end -end, um, pathway. And I think stroke as a subspeciality of geriatric medicine is utterly unique. And you've listed, you know, 
all the bits of the pathway that you can do. But you really have, you can start in as a junior consultant in um, a certain area of the stroke pathway. And 10 years later, you can be doing something different. So, and stroke physicians are just generally really nice, holistic people. Um, and I don't think there's many specialities that you can actually say that about. Um, but again, totally biased. So did you find that going into stroke medicine, that it was an easy path for you? Was it job plan, job description, or did you have to find your own way to essentially design a job that you wanted? Yeah, it's a good good question. I think um, for me, I was lucky enough to have a choice between Mersey and Yorks and the Humber. I stayed in I stayed in Yorkshire because I did my obviously early training in Merseyside and then did my registrar training in Yorkshire and stayed in in Leeds and and that was a job which was acute stroke and acute geriatric medicine so very much you know hybrid job which is what we we, we see in, you know in, in in a lot of our posts presently because it was an emerging specialty based on the stuff that you described historically. And I think based around the National Service Framework for Stroke, I think was the, the first time I think I'd become politically aware of, of some of the stuff. Um, and then that, you know, changed into being a clinician first five years, you know, getting your feet under the table, knowing what it's like, your responsibilities. I then did a bit of uh, acute stroke and rehabilitation. And then thrombolysis dropped a line to us and said, hello. Uh, we've got to we've got to implement this, and and so I, I remember three or four years in as a consultant, you know, st- you know the challenges around implementing an, a, a new service in service it was a real challenge actually in terms of what, you know the numbers to to be able to deliver it. My own experience in a large hospital was the divorce after the national stroke strategy. Uh, of stroke medicine from where it was housed, which was in geriatric medicine, and, and for all sorts of local reasons, actually, uh, service reconfiguration, for the right reason, no, no duplication. Stroke medicine became its own entity in, in my own hospital. Uh, and so I led the stroke service for a short period of time uh, to try and implement uh, things like HAZU development, single site service, joint service with the neurology department. So we had a you know, probably different from the Wirral, you know, uh, and, and District General. Well, different, interestingly, John, from most places across the country, but probably ahead of its time, because I think that's going to be one of the big changes, isn't it, going forward, because with the shape of training for our neurologists, they will all do stroke medicine, which is absolutely wonderful. And hopefully that'll be the direction of travel for um, our geriatricians and maybe our acute physicians, knowing that twenty percent of all acute admissions through medical, well, through A and E's, have a neurological flavour. If you include headache, and I think that's the what about the future? You know, I was I was really lucky enough to become a training program director for stroke medicine, and then be a member of the specialty advisory committee or the subspecialty advisory committee for stroke, and latterly chair it and help shape that stroke medicine training curriculum and how we deliver stroke medicine but also you know work with the other special advisory committees with college to, and as you've described you know I think the neurology community was you know really forward-thinking in accepting stroke medicine into the curriculum that every neurologist from 2022 onwards will, stro- will train in stroke medicine 
as well as internal medicine, because that's what patients need. And you're right, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that geriatric medicine, because I think the skills that different specialties absolutely bring to the, the, the final CCT hall or consultant of tomorrow, you know, and, and, and so we'll have a really rich, dynamic, multi-skilled workforce from a physician specialty perspective. Actually, how we then support our wider community and wider multi-professional practice as well. And that's what, um, if I think about what utopia, so what does the future look like for stroke medicine? The idea, and again, St. George's when we're probably one of the first centres to do this in London, it's the, you know, the HASU-HANU model, so hyperacute stroke unit, hyperacute neurology unit, and we all work together during the day with the acute take. And I think it's moving the concept. So what drove me, you've obviously gone down the educationalist route, and I did the RCP tutor for a bit, thought I'd possibly go down that route, and then ended up doing a clinical director's job, developing the service, um, and then uh, sort of a lead within the medical division. And then I actually floated back towards doing a bit more acute geriatrics and frailty because all the service developments I've done in stroke, I thought, why, if you come in with a suspected stroke and you're in your mid forties, do you get seen by a specialist nurse immediately? You go straight to scan and you see me within 10 minutes. Whereas if you're frail and elderly and you're 90, you come in your line of trolley and you wait for someone to see you. It's probably going to be an A&E junior doctor and then maybe a medical reg and then maybe a geriatrician if you're lucky at some point in the next 24 hours. So I decided I wanted to transfer all of the optimised pathway for stroke over to the frailty pathway because it bugged me that the most extremely challenged admissions to our hospitals didn't get the same streamlined um, approach to assessment. So that was an exciting thing to be able to do. But I think when I'd got to that senior management within the hospital, I thought, oh, I'll go down a medical uh, director route and then realized I'd have to leave my speciality. I didn't want to leave my speciality because I love, and I st- so I still do two days of clinical medicine a week now, and then two days as national medical director, um, and came to that role really from a real quality improvement perspective because I did the getting it right first time national lead with, um, and I did that role with David Hargroves, who's in Kent. And we really, within that role, looked at the pathway and said, why is there so much variation? What can we do to remove it? And let's use data and clinical expertise and pull that all together to, to look at the way that we de- deliver care. Um, and I think being able to do that in, in stroke has been a really nice thing to do because it's so data rich because we've got our national SNAP audit, but it's also so evidence-based. We've got amazing guidelines. There's nothing that we don't know how to do. We've got our Royal College of Physicians guidelines for stroke that are actually just being rewritten at the moment. We've got nice guidance. We've got really active research units. So that's why it's such a great specialty to be in because, you know, over the years, I've been a principal investigator for trials as a research reg back in the 90s, we did the first thrombolysis trials until we started using it in common practice in 97. All of the trials for thrombectomy, um, obviously that was a complete game changer. So seven times more effective than PCI for the heart, uh, yet the funding just wasn't there. And we know that stroke's the fourth biggest cause of death, biggest cause of disability in the country. Yet we've had to do things with stealth and on a shoestring because stroke was never this sexy speciality. But it is now, it's changing massively. 
Um, so I think there's such a big opportunity to look, look at things a bit differently. But it's nice that you can come into leadership and development roles mid-career. You can look at the education elements that you've done and curriculum and how we train people. Or you can come at it from a quality improvement perspective, which is what I've done, and um, leadership, service development, quality improvement, um, or from um, you know a research angle. And I suppose the nice thing is, and you've talked about this a lot, John, about the 40-year 40, 40 career. So what you do when you um, come off the conveyor belt of registrar training, specialty training, is not what you'll be doing five years later or 10 years later. It might be quite nice just to talk about how have you found the speciality in terms of flexibility and family and, and being able to work to live, not live to work. I've been rubbish at that in the past. Um, and I think certainly over the pandemic, I did start analysing my uh, yeah, work-life balance and, and how you actually stay healthy. And the conversations you and I have had about health and well-being have been really, really useful, I think, um, as well as the kind, compassionate leadership that we all want to see and we all want to experience. But a real focus on that has been something that Stroke Medicine's uh, really been leading the way on. Thanks. I think there's two elements to this. I think there's, there's the, the generation that we are and our colleagues are presently uh, and, you know, training in a different sort of way and our values. But ultimately, I think what we've got to shape is, is that for the next generation, the people who will be looking after you and I or, or me, uh, hopefully not you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's the investment for that next generation and understanding the generation that we'll, we'll be training. You know, I think that, you know, who knows what healthcare is going to look like in 40 years. Actually, when you look back 30 years, yeah, it's not too different, but technology has moved on massively. And so actually, will that tech in 40 years time, you know, there's a career for you. You know, are, are we do, dealing with virtual health? Are we dealing with data and figures only rather than seeing but that's a really good point, John, isn't it, from a family-friendly perspective? So 20 years ago, I thought, oh, God, I'm not doing stroke. I have to drive into the hospital in the middle of the night. But I love stroke so much that I thought, no, I will. And I just put up with it. Not anymore. So I have my, on my phone, I've got my app that I can read CT scans on. It's attached to an artificial intelligence uh, decision support tool that helps me when I'm not feeling super confident, decide whether there's an occlusion of a major blood vessel. It does perfusion imaging for me so I can make a decision about thrombolysis. I've got a telemedicine app so I don't have to drive in. I've got a 12-year-old daughter that I'm at home with, which means I can be on call and I can be mum and I can go out for dinner with friends and still be on call. Obviously, no alcohol involved on those nights. Um, so I've got that level of flexibility now. I could only have dreamt of even five years ago. And interestingly, the COVID pandemic has completely revolutionised how you know, I can do a leadership role where I used to be in London one day a week and that was a big challenge for me. I don't have to now. I, um, you know, you're set up in Leeds now. I'm set on the Wirral near to Liverpool. We can do things virtually and you can develop your own portfolio with such ease compared to um, even just two to three years ago. 
I think that's right. And from my perspective, how we train that next generation, because it's, you know, we've got an iPad generation coming up where tech is going to be integral to the way that we deliver not just uh, our education training, but how we assess the just-in-time type of learning. So do I need to know 10 causes of finger clubbing? Uh, probably not, but I know need to know where to find them. Um, are there 10 causes of finger clubbing? I just don't know. I think there were 22, John. <laughs> God, you, 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 you're, you're still on it. Um, to, to how we assess, you know, our examinations, our assessment in situ, our, you know, telemedicine in the new curriculum, for example. How do we, you know, make sure that people are trained to that standard? And that's, that's, that's all in that new curriculum that we are launching this year. So I think when we start to describe that 40-year career, you know, yeah, there's always going to be front door work. There's always going to be uh, stuff to do. But I think th- this discussion is described that we can have that flexible career portfolio overall. Yeah, I've gone down a, an education training rabbit, Warren. Um, you've gone down that leadership, Warren. People will w- always want to deliver the service. I've got colleagues who, you know, really enjoy that part of the work. And so actually it caters for everybody. But we've got to look after each other on the way. And I think that's the important thing. You know, this is, you know, healthcare is a tough one, you know, and I think we've got to just make sure that we put the right support in at the right time for our our work colleagues. You know, I think um, health and well-being is really important. Work-life balance is is, is really important. I'm the worst person to talk about work-life balance presently. Uh, But I think there is an opportunity to absolutely be able to to do that. I, I honestly think, you know, the next generation of stroke physicians will be will be quite unique you know you talk about 20 percent of the acute take absolutely so i'm not going to be neurology focused here but the neurologists of 2027 and beyond will have a a skill set that is going to be pretty good actually yeah i'm quite excited by that you were talking earlier about when stroke broke away from geriatric medicine and that made me a bit sad when that happened um, and I think we're going to see this sea change where we can't, specialities, well, I say you can't, you can, you can exist as a speciality and have nothing to do with the acute take, but it's not a sustainable model for what we need going forward. So I think looking at how uh, people are trained so that they fit the needs of what the NHS and what our population actually require is so important. And I think that's not always happened in the past. But this sea change is going to be us moving back to being generalists, but of the best kind. So we are going to be the most uh, super uh, internal medicine gang, I think, um, that are really hot at neurology and working hand in hand with our A&E colleagues and our radiologists and yeah, our acute physicians. So there's so much potential and also when you do that you don't feel alone do you You're part of a much bigger thing and again working much more closely with our well we do most of us work very closely with our geriatrician colleagues but in this country not often with our neurologists so massive opportunities there and just talking about the, the sort of generalists so there's, there's a program of work within health education england which originally called generalism, now called enhance. And, and this is almost a T-shaped doctor. So there's the generalist across the, the horizontal platform, but the specialist on the vertical arm as well. So I, I call stroke medicine the, the specialist generalist. And it, and it just allows you to think about different roles going forward. You know, you, because of the stuff I said before, you know, you're dealing with cardiology, primary, secondary, 
prevention, drugs, pharmacology, therapeutics, to palliative care, communication, decision-making. I don't want to repeat all of that, but that makes you quite a sort of master of a number of skills. And there's something that, you know, a wider population could really uh, benefit from that, you know, within the community, for example, the community stroke physician of the future, you know, which supports care homes, virtual wards, tech, the geriatrician, the community paediatrician for young stroke, for example. Uh, but also dealing with the complexity and difficult decision-making because actually the stroke physician makes those difficult decisions and makes that difficult decision at a very rapid pace in the emergency department to actually having more considered time and communicating with families for a tough decision-making at, at the end of life, for example. So I think, there's a, honestly, the, the, the career in stroke is, a, is such a rich one. And, and, and for, for those students and postgraduate doctors in training, and, and actually wider healthcare professionals that haven't thought about stroke before, you know, hopefully that would sort of resonate and start people thinking that actually, how, how do we make this? How do we become a stroke physician? How can we help shape it in the future as well? And I think that's the other thing is involving our wider community in, in, in describing what it looks like for the future. Yeah, no, I, I can I completely agree. Um, and I think that issue around lifelong learning, you don't have to carry on doing the same thing for the next 30, 40 years. And I don't think there's any other speciality that's got quite that level of versatility from my experience. I think that, I think that's absolutely right. And the other just, you know, the now initiatives, you know, we've got things like mechanical thrombectomy, we've got additional skills that you know, the future stroke physician, a neurologist, might, you know, with the credentialing programme or whatever it becomes, there are skills that we can introduce further down that career pathway and, and based on, on, on service need. You know, I think we've described all the adjuncts to stroke medicine that, that allow you a really diverse, a really flexible career across a sort of 40 year plus way of doing things. And I think I just, I just think it's, you know, it's a great career to do. And I think just from a portfolio career perspective, what's another opportunity within Stroke is Stroke's part of the long-term plan with NHS England. So it's been categorically stated as a priority within how we deliver healthcare over the next 10, well, the focus is the next 10 years, but it'll be indefinitely, obviously. But we've got a really well-funded programme of work. We've got a new national stroke service model. We've got a new integrated community stroke service. There's money and funding going into the regions. And everyone will probably know we've got seven NHS regions. And underneath those, we've got 20 integrated stroke delivery networks. And that in itself offers huge opportunities for people to take up local leadership roles. I started my leadership journey um, within speciality within Cheshire and Mersey as the strategic clinical network clinical lead um, and that let me uh, leapfrog and do jobs within um, quality improvement programs and then at a national level so I think yes being able to influence change because you can do things at a micro level can't you in your own hospital and then you can do things at a meso level within region and then if you're daft enough you can go and do stuff at a national level but I think being able to influence entire strategic and policy approaches and also the research agenda, 
we did a, a recent bit of work with a demand signaling NHS life sciences department to essentially put a call out to all researchers to say stroke's really important and these are the key priority areas. And then you get to work with academics, um, you get to work with funders, you get to work with stroke charities. And I just want to add just for a big up for the girls, obviously, as a female NCD, there aren't many of us as a national clinical directors. I think there's only four. But these stars have aligned. We've got a female national clinical director. We've got a female president of our national society, British um, and Irish Association of Stroke Physicians. And we've got a female chief executive of our major stroke charity, the Ch Stroke Association and that's not always an easy journey to leadership. I'm not saying that women necessarily get treated differently, but there are different um, struggles sometimes and different things to juggle. So I think that shows how inclusive and equal stroke medicine is as a speciality. And I've done all of this raising, um, raising my daughter, being a full-time consultant, but then dropping to four days a week because you can be more flexible within the speciality. So, yeah, so much good stuff. Some good points, I think, there, Deb, as well, I think, about that inclusivity of the profession. And I think just to touch on our community of practice, if, if that makes sense, you know, I think most stroke physicians know each other as well. You know, and I think when you look at the BIASP stuff, the UK Stroke Forum, you know, er everyone says hello to everyone else. Our links with not just the colleges, actually, but but to that third sector, to the, to the voluntary sector. And, and in particular, you know, shout out to the Stroke Association, who have been so influential in, in driving forward, you know, the stroke agenda, I think is really important and, and, and strong leadership from Juliet for that. And that, that has to be signalled out. And, and, and obviously links them back to the arm's length bodies, the, the, the governmental sort of arm to uh, the, the politics, if you like. So, so you and I are working together now, you know, almost coming full circle in terms of Health Education England and, and NHS England um, has been really, really interesting as well. And how we can then influence the future, I think, is really, it's a privilege, actually, if I'm being honest. It is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think strokes, everybody's business going forward, it's not going to be a niche speciality. There'll be training for everyone going through undergraduate and postgraduate training. But I do think the exciting bit is coming together across lots of training specialities to deliver a really comprehensive, holistic end-to-end -end pathway. So yeah, we're in a really, really good place. I agree. I agree. There are some challenges still to do, and we, we, we all appreciate that. But um, I think we're in a good place overall. We we wrap things up there and sort of bring to the end the, fir the first episode. And Deb, always a pleasure to chat. Oh, you too, John. Always great. And um, always up for a bit of a Twitter feed and a chat. So you can find uh, John and I both on Twitter. I think I'm more um, Twitter focused than John is. Always work-based stuff. But if you are thinking about a speciality in stroke medicine, you can hunt me down um, relatively easily. But really exciting times. Go to the BIAS website too. If you're thinking about a career, um, there are specific take-up stroke fellowships and the Stroke Association website too is phenomenal for resources. And obviously the Royal College of Physicians Stroke Guidelines tells you as an undergraduate or trainee in stroke medicine, everything you need to know about evidence-based stroke medicine. So loads of great stuff out there. There is. Fabulous. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.